I actually haven't told you this, and I have told very few people this. The Lake Placid came on the calendar because one way or another, either as a spectator or as a, you know, hopefully participant, I, I will be going to Kona next year. Hey there, welcome back to the Forging Iron Podcast. I'm your host, Griffin Jaworski, and this week we reverse roles a little bit, and Lauren, my guest from last week, interviews me, and I get to share my mindset as an athlete, as a coach, plus the exciting things I have coming down the pipeline for Ironworks Athletics, for my athletes, and for myself, not only as a triathlete, as a runner, but also in my personal life as well. Uh, I also share a pretty raw and honest moment about why I'm signed up for Ironman Lake Placid and why I'll be going to Kona in 2020. Enjoy. All right, well, welcome back to the Forging Iron podcast where we are sharing the heart and science, the habits and the stories of endurance athletes, uh, what makes them tick, and how people just kind of push their potential and, and reach for more in their lives. So today we're flipping the script a little bit. Last week, Lauren, I interviewed Lauren, and this week he is interviewing me. Yeah, this is the fun side. Now mm-hmm. I get to be the interviewer. Yeah, I get the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. we'll just stand up and move around. How's yeah. that? And we'll, <laughs> we'll keep to a script today, Griffin, because you know I know you don't like my freelancing but uh, <laughs> i'm still gonna freelance a little bit you know i find it interesting uh one because i'm getting to know you a little bit more and you really have got this uh a passion to be a, a coach mm-hmm. and you're picking up working with high school kids so you're working with older triathletes uh you're becoming a, a focused athlete yourself and i, I want to start the, the, i guess this podcast with you've been kind of kicking it hard since uh, iron man wisconsin 2017 mm-hmm. if you could uh Maybe summarize three things that you've learned about yourself as an athlete and then three things that you've learned about coaching someone like yourself as an athlete. What would those three things be? Mm, good question. All right. So three things that I've learned as an athlete. Um, one is that some training is better than no training. Um, and on the flip side of that, some training is better than a lot of training. Finding that middle ground where you're – able to sustain uh, a moderate amount of training for several weeks, several months at a time is going to be the thing that gets you to the finish line successfully. I think a lot of us look at Ironman as a really daunting task and you say, wow, this could be a 10, 12, 14, 16 hour day. I need to be training all day long. But you don't really think about what happens after an Ironman race where you're basically out of commission for two, three, four weeks at a time after that. So people train to prepare for the race, but don't remember that the race takes a massive toll on their body. Um, And so if you only do 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week of training, which is still a lot for sure, but it's, it's a lot less compared to the 20 to 30 hours that people think that they have to do. uh, That becomes 
A, much more manageable, and B, uh, something that you can do for several months at a time without breaking down. So that is kind of one and two punch of do something, because a lot of people will wait until the last minute, um, but do less than you probably think you have to do. Um, that way you're able to do it all the time. Uh, and the third one is really that it needs to be enjoyable. And there is, I think, the thing that really got me through Wisconsin was having the enjoyment of the group around me. Um, and just even though group training isn't always match up, doesn't always match up with the workout that you want to do or you should do that day, um, having something that is fun that you're looking forward to will get will be the thing that gets you out of bed and, and gets you into training mode um and on the flip side of that like uh training for iron man chattanooga half iron man chattanooga and, and boulder the following year where i was kind of training all by myself um i i still enjoy that aspect for sure but it wasn't something where I was really looking forward to getting out of bed every day. And I think that played a part in, in me not being able to finish Ironman Boulder. I mean, so did, so did the 95 degree heat, um, and altitude and, uh, all that kind of stuff, but, uh, not being able to really enjoy the training as much, um, was something that, that played a factor. And since then I've done everything that I can to make training as enjoyable as possible. Do you think that had anything to do with your your, your focus? You had a, an outstanding first race at Ironman Wisconsin, uh, you know, sniffing the door of Kona. Mm -hmm. Do you think that changed your focus on, if I just train a little bit harder by myself, I can get that next step? Mm -hmm, for sure, yeah. yeah. I, and like we kind of talked about last week, sometimes when, when you don't get the outcome, you come, become increasingly focused on the outcome. Um, and so I really had no expectation for – I would, you know, I'd be lying if I said that Kona wasn't a goal and a dream of mine um, during Wisconsin, but I didn't have the expectation. It was it was only my second triathlon ever, and the first one that I did was a sprint triathlon. Um, so I had no real expectation for myself to make, make Kona. Um, and then when I got kind of close, I was like, man, you know, if I just do a little bit, a little bit more, and, and instead of going – easy with the group maybe I, I push an extra hard workout by myself every week um you know I, I got a lot better as an athlete and I think that same mindset that I had at um at Wisconsin played into effect at the half Ironman in Chattanooga where I went there and it was my B race um I didn't taper for it at all and I had no real expectation for it I was like ah, I'm just kind of testing the waters again before Ironman Boulder and you know, I ended up qualifying for half Ironman World Championships in South Africa because I had no expectations. I was just enjoying every moment of the race, um, and that's something that I've tried to do since since Boulder is just enjoy every race and and let go of expectations because just so many things can happen. I mean, it's a long, really really long day. There's so many variables. You try to control the ones that you can, but there's there's too many of them to to ever feel like you're really in control. You kind of have to let go and let God, as they say. Yeah, when you chase a prize, and, and you now know after having several races underneath your belt, it takes a peak performance day mm -hmm. to get that coveted Kona spot. Mm -hmm. uh, with the, the amount of competition, with the number of reduced spots in the, the continental United States races, it takes peak performance. Mm -hmm. and, and 
you can do a lot of things in training that just don't manifest itself on race day. Yeah. For yeah. various reasons. Yeah. So now sure. on the flip side, so that was you personally. Yeah. Uh, so now that you're getting heavy into this coaching and you're picking up clients and you have a big tribe starting this uh, this November, mm -hmm. but it's gonna, it's gonna be awesome to see you coach a group of triathletes. How do you take what you've learned personally and apply it to your coaching skills? Yeah, I think uh, that third bullet point that I mentioned of, of enjoying training is kind of at the top end of, of my coaching philosophy, making sure that athletes are enjoying what they're doing, enjoying, enjoying learning about the process. Um, that's, that's kind of the whole reason that we started the tribe is that so that we can kind of work hard, play hard together um, and taking things that not aren't, aren't necessarily a part of training, um, but revolve around training. Remember, remembering that training happens in the context of your life and not a vacuum. And so trying to not only, you know, include them and in making sure that the training sessions are, are challenging but fun, um, but remembering that, you know, these people have work and they have families and trying to include the people around them, you know, like they say it takes a village, trying to include their village into things. So doing things like we did last week with the, the pizza party, trying to bring in, um, you know, their spouses. We're going to ho hopefully have a, a, a test kitchen at Hy-Vee where we're going to have, like, athletes cook a meal together and, and bring in their spouses and make it more of, like, a Valentine's Day thing. You know, um, most triathletes in, in our group, at least, are males as of right now. would love some more females in our group, but um, trying to, you know, reverse roles maybe a little bit and have the, the males cook for the females. I know I know in some houses that that is the case um, in our group, but, you know, just just making things a little bit more fun. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're building your, your client base. Uh, you're seeing now that you're going to have people that have a lot of experience mm -hmm. versus little or no experience. Yeah. So what, what's been your mindset and how do, how do I effectively coach the people that have done 10 Ironmen? Mm-hmm to the person that maybe you're, you're counseling on how to get a bike. Right. So tell me about what some of the, the, the fun things that you you feel like you're experiencing and some of the struggles. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a struggle to balance because there's not a, a blanket, one-size-fits-all approach. Um, but with that said, I think the – the most important step for any athlete to take or any human to take is that next one, kind of like we talked about last week, being mindful, knowing that, you know, we can't do everything all at once. So looking at each athlete as an individual and saying, okay, this person's done 10 Ironmans. That's awesome. What is that one next step thing that they could focus on that is going to help them improve? And then vice versa with the a, a new athlete. And, and they're definitely a little bit more – of a challenge as far as whittling it down to what's that one next step because there's about 50 next steps for them to take. Um, but like I mentioned, some training is better than nothing. So just finding those ways to reduce barriers to entry and get them get them going um, is going to be the thing that helps them get to the finish line. Yeah, and it's, it, you're going to see that the, the energy levels are going to be different. Mm -hmm. You're going to see uh, ability levels. So let, let's, let's just talk about this Philip, you know, yeah. and Philip's listening, uh, very accomplished college career. Yeah. You know, wrestled at one of the, the top wrestling programs in the nation. Definitely is an athlete. Uh, so walk through, and he's been uh, bouncing uh, emails back and forth mm -hmm. with us. So tell me what your brain thinks. You, when you see an athlete like that, you know, uh, the triathlon might be a new sport to him, but he has this, this high level ability for pain and for passion and for dedication. 
what's gonna be, what, what's your your uh, engagement meeting gonna look like with him? Yeah, yeah, no, Phillips, Phillips, and great to talk to you. Um, I think for him, uh, he's someone that understands training philosophies, and so just really trying to in our first couple meetings together, trying to get him to buy into my particular philosophy, explaining. Uh, the the body en- body's energy systems and how it relates to long course triathlon because long course is just such a different beast than I mean even even your top level marathoners they're really only out there for two hours where your top level uh, long course guys are out there for four hours um, in a half and, and eight hours in a full uh, so you really have to be super efficient with what you do. Um, and the training volume it takes, uh, I mean, hopefully you can do it, do it effectively and do it, do it on 10 hours a week, but still the volume that it takes is probably going to be somewhere building up to 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a week at, at its peak. Um, so getting him to buy in, uh, at an early stage to what I'm saying is going to be a, a challenge for sure, but something that I'm really confident in, in my training philosophy and, and training plan and having kind of that science and art side of, all right, here's what all this data says that we should do, and then here's how you manifest it and apply it to your actual daily life. Um, so th- that'll be really fun. I, I love working with athletes that, that care about the, the philosophy side of things. Yeah, and it's been fun to watch you grow. Uh, you know, so much of everything we do in sport now is measurable. Mm-hmm. You know, you just brought a VASA trainer into the gym. Yeah. Which, if, if, you're, if you're listening, you go, what's a VASA trainer? It's it's an erg machine that helps you swim. And, and, and well, why don't you tell them what your VASA trainer, what you plan on using your VASA trainer for? Because it's just another data point for people when it comes to swimming. Yeah. Other than time. Yeah, for sure. So the VASA is basically a rowing machine um, for swimming. So instead of uh, you know, a typical rowing machine where you're seated on your butt and you got the one handlebar you're pulling back towards you. Uh, Avasa is the opposite. So you are on your belly um, and you have two two kind of handles. And right now mine is set up as um, paddles that you would wear uh, in the pool. And so you're pulling them individually versus um, one big handlebar. And so you can either do like two-handed pulls just uh two at a time or one um one at a time like you're actually swimming um and for me it's going to be a strength builder because swimming is definitely my weakness i came from a college running background which meant that i wanted my upper body to be basically as small as possible have a little bit of core strength so i don't swing rapidly from side to side but for me I, i need to develop that that high end power because i have about one one real gear and I swim my 1000 time trial, the same gear as I swim my, uh, my half Ironman time as as same as I swim my Ironman time. I just have trouble reaching that next platform because I don't have that power base. And what the Vasa allows me to do is just go really, really hard for short intervals in order to boost that. It's like strength, uh, rapid fire, you know, pull-ups basically that you can target each arm individually and you can measure it with watts and stuff um as well so it'll send it to garmin and then to my training peaks account as well so well it, it's, it's cool to see you know in the world of technology it's it's almost everywhere now yeah uh where we relied on are you a better swimmer by what can you swim 100 at mm-hmm. now you can actually work on the technique that can make him a better swimmer which is right. no different than the bike and with with running uh, why don't you tell the listeners i, I know you've been in chicago uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks and I uh, went to a running gait analysis clinic. Once you, I mean, because that's another big piece. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people can run, but they're very inefficient. 
Yeah. And you can hide those inefficiencies in a 5K. Right. But when you start getting to the longer endurance races, inefficiencies start to create issues. Mm -hmm. So why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell your listeners what you learned in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a while back, we got connected with uh, the, this chiropractor, um, Dr. Andy, and um, he he works with this professional running group, Tin Man Elite, which uh, my former college teammate is a part of. And so we kind of got connected with him because they um, that whole group, when they came back to Des Moines for for Drake Relays and for USA Championships, went through this running gait analysis. And I was like, huh, you know, that's really cool, is because it was a 3D gait analysis, which most most gait analysis um, are 2D, and and kind of what I do is 2D because a 3D system is is awesome, but it's also really expensive. Um, so for me, um, I I really wanted to learn more about myself as as a runner because in college I got injured so much, and and I was curious to see what those compensations have kind of led to. Um, in, in my body because right now I can run about 40 miles comfortably um, which is really all you need to do for for Ironman level training but um, if I was ever going to step back and focus again on running I would want to be back up to you know some something like 70 80 miles a week and I don't know if my body could handle that right now um, even with the amount the plethora of recovery tools that I have at, at my disposal like Normatec boots and Epsom salt and ice and all that kind of stuff um, so what I wanted to learn was, was about myself. Um, and Andy took me through the 3d gate system and he said, Hey, we're actually doing a clinic on this in a few weeks, um, in Chicago. And so it was, it was really cool to, to go and be a part of it because it was actually a continuing ed thing for physical therapists. So, so much of it was a little bit over my head and, you know, origin insertion points of, of muscles and the scientific name. And I'm like, I know this is a calf muscle. What the heck is a gastrocnemius, you know? Um, I mean, I, I, I did know that one. Yes. But uh, uh, a lot of it was uh, was over my head, um, I felt like. But at the end of it, I, I really understood the mechanics of running a lot better. And uh, their gait analysis system puts people into um, not mutually exclusive, uh, but five different types of gait impairments and gives you the tools um, – to help people reduce those gait impairments. And, and no one has perfect running form, but we can all get cl something closer to where you're able to accept the load um, on your body of, of running, which is two to three times your body weight um, more efficiently. Um, and, and being able to analyze what each person does and then target that specifically um, and a lot of people do that, but then they take it from a strength-only perspective. And what this was, because it's physical therapy-based and evidence-based, was that they looked at all these different studies, and basically the conclusion is that you can't just increase strength. That might be able to increase the load that you can accept, but it doesn't fix your form. Um, so not only do you need to have stronger glutes, but you need to teach them when to fire properly. So you can't, you have to, you have to pair the strength aspect with gait retraining. And so that's something that I have applied now to my own training and I have applied to the group that we have going, um, the, the tribe and anyone that comes in for, for gait analysis and, I'm super excited to to watch it work because you know we had a couple injuries on our high school team this year and hopefully I can and remedy that and fix that for the future. 
um, because running is the sport, even, you know, if you're a runner, there's like a statistic out there that 80% of runners are injured with some sort of mild injury in a given year where they have to reduce or uh, adjust their training. And then, you know, same thing with triathletes. You're doing so much volume uh, swim and bike that when you get to the run, you're already fatigued and not as efficient as you should be. So you really need to make sure that every step you take counts. Yeah, you know, for any of you cyclists out there, I always say inefficient running is like riding your bike with the brake rubbing. Yeah. And you, you don't realize how much more energy you're putting into a speed until you release that brake. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with running. Once you, once you release the brake, it's like, I feel like floating. Yeah. And you're a lot more efficient. And, you know, you're already kind of trudging through at the end of an Ironman or in the end of a half Ironman. You know, the run form is not pretty to begin with. Mm-hmm. So if you can start efficiently, uh, you definitely are going to be less likely for injury and faster in general. Yeah, so. yeah. So what you know, you you think about all this education you're picking up, um, you know, from going to the gait analysis mm-hmm. to getting the Vasa trainer. What, what's next? So, you know, it sounds like you're in a growth mindset right now, oh, for Griffin, sure. where you're just like, it's just a lot of stuff coming in, which is really cool to see because the other side's like, I'm fixed mindset. Well, I'm a coach, I didn't believe in this, and you don't change, mm-hmm. you, which awesome. So what's next? Yeah. So the the next uh, little device thing that I have coming in. Um, probably the thing that I'm most excited for to apply to myself, um, but definitely I'm excited to apply to other people is this, uh, it, it's called a Pinoe. So it's um, this portable gas mask. Uh, and, and a lot of people have probably heard of uh, VO2 testing uh, and training. And th- this can definitely do that. Um, but it's this gas mask that you has a little battery pack that you wear on your back and then you strap it around and you can either, you know, bike with it on a trainer or run with it on a treadmill or you could even take it out to a track and, and do a track workout with it. Um, and, and what it does is not only tells you y- your VO2, but you pair it with a heart rate monitor. And if you're on a bike um, or a treadmill, like pace or power meter, and you can see the level at which your body starts to use fat or starts to use carbohydrate, excuse me, more than fat. Um, so all kind of training zones are based on that aerobic versus anaerobic philosophy where once you hit your your lactate threshold, that's sort of theoretically when you start burning 100% carbs. And anything over that is just you're only burning through the glycogen that you have. Um, And why I'm excited for it for long course triathletes is that that is a limiting factor for performance because once you're out there for that extended length of time, four and a half to 12, 13, 14 hours, you can only take in 60 to 70 grams of carbs comfortably without risking GI distress. Um, and, and I think the upper limit of that is 105 grams um, or like 400 calories from, from carbs per hour without really risking GI distress. Um, and so if you can train at the level that your body is burning fat in your true aerobic zone and and not just saying, all right, you did an FTP test or you did a 10K at this, so this should be your aerobic zone, uh, but there's no way to know for certain. Well, now we're going to be able to know for certain um, as much as you can. I mean, obviously, there's calibration errors on everything, but be a lot more pinpointed of, okay, 150 watts is actually my aerobic zone for right now. And then we'll be able to retest instead of just sending athletes to a lab somewhere else, we'll be able to retest them every, you know, four to eight weeks to say, all right, you're you're actually making a lot of improvement. Whereas before you were burning 80% carbs at 150 watts, 
or sorry, 80%, yeah, 80% carbs at 150 watts and just incredibly inefficient. Now at 150 watts, you're burning 50% carbs, 50% fat. And that's just less carbs that you have to take in and less crap that you have to take carry on the bike and on the run of an Ironman. It's almost one of those oxymorons because you might be telling people they can go faster by going slower. Yeah, 100%. And, and, that and that, that is definitely part of my training philosophy. And it's kind of like the people that I work with on weight management. I go, you'll lose more weight if you eat more. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing that on a long 8 to 10-hour day, you're going to be teaching athletes that to go faster, you have to go slower. Mm-hmm. Yep. Versus walking four miles during the marathon, slow it down at this point in the race where you're running at that point in the marathons, which I, you know, I, I can't wait to see this gas mask because, you know, I'm an old guy, remember? Yeah. We used to, back in the day, in the 80s, they had these masks that you'd put on. They were oxygen deprivation masks. Mm -hmm. And they were huge to simulate altitude training. So I, I'd be interested to see how big this thing is. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. So when, when's that coming in? Uh, it should be here by January. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, well, there's something else I know you got coming in. You know, you, we have, if, if I look out at the gym right now, we have four motorized treadmills. Yeah. Uh, and treadmills do what? The belt moves, you just go up and down in the air, right? So yeah. they're not teaching good running form. So right. I think you have something else yet coming into you. Yeah, right? yeah. Lots of new, lots of new toys. Um, the, the other thing that I got coming, it, which is kind of taking me back to running, running form, is uh, a non-motorized curved treadmill. Um, and what, what that does is, you have to power the treadmill with you, with your own body weight. So by you pressing down into that front end of the curve and pulling back um, with your foot, that is what keeps the belt moving. And you can't really go hardly more than a mile uh, on these things at a time because it, it kind of exaggerates what you need to do good running form-wise. Um so and, and it's curved at the back so that you really have to pull your knee back through. It's not just this passive thing. You really have to drive your knee forward, um, pull, pull your heel up, up to your hip and, and have good form the entire time. And, and kind of what I'll use it for is when you're done with a, a long indoor brick workout, because this race that we're doing training for for Ironman, half Ironman Des Moines is in June, a lot of the training is going to be indoors. And so hopefully, you know, we get – large groups of people training um, couple, their their long indoor ride here on Saturday morning, and then instead of just kind of slogging through it uh, outside in the cold and shuffling around, you're teaching yourself what it's like to have good form right off the bike and doing 10, um, 5 to 10 by, you know, anything from 15 to 30 seconds uh, of kind of a almost a sprint, but just – more like a stride uh, on this thing that's teaching you how to have really awesome form. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for those. Yeah, a lot of times in endurance races, you, how you feel in the first couple minutes off the bike dictates how you get because it gets in the brain right away. Mm -hmm. So if you can keep doing those muscle memory activities where they're practicing good form step two, because I, I don't know about you. I mean, I don't know how many races you've done, but there's not many races I go, ah, if I just keep running, I'll feel better. It normally doesn't work that way. Yeah. It's like you have to feel it right away off the bike to get the mental confidence that you can run fast. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I've never been on a curve. So you got all these new toys coming in that, yeah. uh, I, as an old-timer, I'm excited they, to they try feel, as well. They feel weird, but they you can tell after like 15 seconds, wow, I am, I am really tired at, at a pace that I shouldn't be that tired at. And that's because it's – uh, it's mentally taxing and, and cardiovascularly taxing to, to learn a new skill. And and running is a, 
is a skill. It's mm-hmm. a skill that people don't learn though. They they're just anyone can run. It's such a basic thing. I mean, it's it's kind of like everyone's a bad driver because it's a pretty minimal skill. Like there's not much requirement. You just have to be able to lift up and put your foot down and sort of turn your arms in in the right directions. Um the the point is that like running is so 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 simple that people just stick with that first awful running form that they have when they're kids and they don't ever really need to change it so this this will hopefully allow them to to change it in a way that isn't um you know too too challenging for them and and you can do it in as little as you know 15 second increments well you think about the the first set of runners is vertical oscillation Mm -hmm. which a treadmill allows you to jump up as high and down as you want yep I don't think these curves are going to be that way, are they? No, no. If you go up and down the air versus forward to back, it's not going to move. Yep. And it, if you if you land uh, too far in front of your center of mass, you, you're you're probably I don't know I don't think you'll fall, but uh, you your body won't allow you to do that really because you'll have to you'll have to lean forward, you'll have to lean over that front end front end of it in, in order to keep it moving. Yes. Um. So so it'll kind of correct a lot of things, um, at, as you're as you're on it. Yeah. Well, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of new and interesting things coming. Yeah. Which is, you know, it, it's always kind of fun because we've got more technical, we've got more sciency mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to the sport of well, any sport. It, you know, I think I, I think you and I know that I'm, I'm starting to think about sprinting. How do you mm-hmm. how do you work with sprinters? Yeah. It's really similarly. It's just their ground contact time is a lot less than what a runner's ground, time, and their turnover has to be a lot higher. So it's the same mechanics, just higher stride frequency, lower ground contact time means faster times. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, which would be kind of fun to watch how how you use that science to to train your your athletes, the new and the old. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so what else is coming down? What, what else do we need to know about? Uh, listeners need to know about. It's coming from uh, Griffin Jaworski. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot on the horizon um, next next year, and a lot of it is is really awesome, um, and probably, gosh, I'm signed up for half Ironman. Um, Chattanooga, Half Ironman, Des Moines, Lake Placid, and then ultimately oh, the Lake Placid's on the counter. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna get a trip to uh, lovely upstate New York. In, yes, in late July. Yeah, so so this will be interesting because I I actually haven't told you this, and I have told very few people this. Um, but the Lake Placid came on the calendar because one way or another, either as a spectator or as a uh, as a you know, hopefully participant, I I will be going to Kona next year. Awesome. Um, and and kind of the reason being, um, triathlon has been something in my family that that we've been doing for a while, and, and my mom kind of kick started it off several several years ago, um, with primarily with running, and then we got into triathlon. Um, and it was kind of her big beast to conquer as a type one diabetic and someone with a lot of back surgeries. Um, and my dad's always had this plan in his mind that as soon as he hits that 75 age group category of, of 75 and older, like that's going to be the time that he can finally qualify for Kona because he'll be the only person in that, in that spot still competing. Or Which, alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so, uh, to make a long story short, so, so not to just, you know, interrupt, I have that same dream. So yeah. hopefully your dad and I don't go to the same race. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll coordinate. We'll coordinate. No, but um, so 
at at some point in the last couple of years, uh, we've we've noticed a little bit of some oddities going on with my dad, and um, we're actually going to do sort of like a, a a feature on this with him in a few weeks um, podcast as well. But um, we just some like stuff that's maybe not uh, behaviorally the same as it always has been. Um, just memory hasn't quite been there, like you say, and I'll kind of you know, I, I feel terrible about it, but at first we were like, gosh, dad, just like, he's not paying attention to what we're saying. Um, but it got to the point where we were like, all right, no, we're actually pretty concerned about this. And so for the last basically year, um, he's been, he's been going through all sorts of like memory testing. Um, and at any point, like the tests, I think he's done eight or nine tests and they've all kind of been, if, if you can rule something out then it rules out the bad stuff um and we haven't been able to rule anything out and so there's uh the diagnosis is is mci or or mild cognitive impairment and is consistent with leading to dementia and alzheimer's um and so that being said um basically he he reached out to iron man and iron man's got their foundation um, and, and people have mixed feelings about this and I'll explain kind of where, where mine's, my mindset is coming from because he was worried that I w- wouldn't, you know, think that this is, is the right path, but Ironman has their foundation. And if you raise a, t- a ton of money, y- you can kind of, you know, sort of buy your way into Kona. Um, and, and a lot of people are against that because they're like, ah, it's, it's not the true nature of the race. The race is for, you know, you really have to earn your way there. And and my opinion on it is I love triathlon. I love competing in triathlon. I love racing. The person that's buying their way there, I'm not actually racing against them. I'm racing against the people that are still better than me. Um, But those people that are are pumping a bunch of money into this sport and and doing things like Ironman Foundation and they have a couple, like their legacy program and whatever, like that's what's keeping this sport alive while the rest, like the Ironman side of things, while the rest of triathlon is dying is because people are, willing and able to pump money into it um and and if that money dries up i think you see what happens to uh, on the pro level of what has happened to running like people aren't pumping a ton of money into running and most professional runners live below the poverty line and i don't think that statistic is true for professional triathletes because there's people out there um so He's going to Kona. He's going to compete in 2020, um, and hopefully, I'll be able to compete right alongside of him. Yeah, what a, what a cool dream! And uh, yeah, we could probably have a whole different podcast on on Kona and that that thought. And you know, I, I jumped to right away. Uh, there are a lot of people that compete at Kona that might raise the interest in mm-hmm. other people getting into the sport. Yeah, and again, this is this BHOG, this big, hairy, audacious goal that I could never do an Ironman, but yet when they see somebody else and Right. The sport, by numbers, is not necessarily getting bigger. Right. You know, I, I, you hate to say it's maybe on the decline. So it needs something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've always had that mindset of, I'm going to earn my way there. Mm-hmm. But then now I'm being a hypocrite because I'm buying my way into Leadville this year. Right. You know. Right. So <laughs> I, I'm like, I got to be careful of how I, I go. <laughs> and you know, I still hope I can compete against the people that actually did qualify for Leadville and actually beat several of them. But yeah, my goal is just to go there and finish and see, you know, what's this thing all about. Yeah. Uh, so, so I get both sides and. I like your mindset on I'm still competing against everyone that's there, but I have a different competitive field against those that have earned their way there. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah which would be really cool because uh, I've done both Lake Placid and Ben Dakota. It's 
yeah, it's they're both pretty magical places. Yeah, no, I, I I'm really excited, and um, I think uh, so. This past week, everyone in my family um got got the the tattoo carpe diem, which means seize the day, and and that's kind of the mindset that we're having with this thing, and and why he went, you know, went for it this year is because with with this diagnosis, you have no idea if if next year everything could go south really fast. And that's true for anyone in life. You know, we could walk out of here, drive down the car, drive down the street, hit a patch of black ice and, and be gone. Um, and so you really never know. And so kind of that idea of carpe diem of seizing the day and making the most out of things, take your shots while you have them, you know, this life, life is about experiences. And yeah. so have the ones that you really want to have. Well, before we started this, there was a TED Talk going, kind of on the same su- subject yeah. that I was listening to about, you know, the, the winner at the end of the, their life isn't the person that has the most stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the person that has the most experiences and the most relationships. And uh, I, I think we live in a world where having more stuff means more success. And eh, I'm not sure I'm going to buy into that one. And uh, yeah. it's really cool that your dad's going to have this opportunity because uh, Kona's pretty damn cool. Yeah, yeah, for well. sure. You know, Griffin, I'm, I'm glad I got the chance to interview you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun as, you know, somebody that's stepping back from the sport to watch your excitement because mm-hmm. the excitement you had is what I had. It was like I couldn't get enough of this stuff. And, yeah. Uh, I still love coaching. And I still love watching athletes compete. And I, I love watching you have – you got a smile on your face yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I could talk about this all day. Yeah. yeah. And that's what you, you know, people – you know, when, when you're looking for a coach and anybody's out there looking for a coach, you want somebody that has energy. Mm-hmm. You want somebody that has passion. You want somebody that has a growth mindset. Somebody that doesn't have a mindset that says, I know what I'm doing. Trust mm-hmm. me. you got to have it because things are evolving, right? Races yeah. are evolving. Training's evolving. Nutrition's evolving. Equipment's evolving. Mm-hmm. So uh, I sit here and just watch all this fun stuff you're bringing in and going, Griffin definitely has a growth mindset. So if you're looking for a coach, uh, yeah. you know, I'm an old-timer, but been in the sport for a long time. I'd say, uh, you know, pick up the phone. Find Griff, uh, Griff Griff, right? Or yeah, <laughs> the affectionate name of the cross country team, Griff. Find him somehow. I think he's on every social media platform. Uh, Griffin yeah. Jaworski, you, you, you'll find him. Yeah. Well, Griffin, uh, it's been fun flipping the script. Uh, I've enjoyed talking to you, and man, I just I can't wait to see what happens these next one, three, five years uh, yeah. with your coaching. Yeah. Well, we, we got to talk about the wedding too. Oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, you got to ask me. I mean, I could talk all day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. Yeah. I mean, so there's obviously a, a lot of things that are exciting next year, but um, but one of the, one of the most important ones is is that I'm getting married, and and Lauren is the officiant, and so that's gonna be a, a pretty awesome day, and one of those things that you know, as much as I care about about triathlon and do have a p- passion for it, you know, uh, again, kind of going back full circle to where we started of like triathlon happens in the context of your life and you can't uh you can't put your relationships on on hold to to chase chase dreams so making the most out of those too yeah Mako's a, a pretty uh special person and uh it's gonna be awesome to marry you too and again you know jenny because my wife and i just celebrated our silver an- silver anniversary you guys will be celebrating your silver anniversary when we have our gold mm-hmm. you know so it's gonna mm-hmm. be fun to look back and you know, as I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to say at their uh, their wedding, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the life lessons I've learned of being with my wife for a long time, and hopefully that wisdom I can impart on you and Mako on June 5th, mm-hmm. not June 6th. Not June 6th. <laughs> if you show up on June 6th, we won't be there. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's kind of fun watching young couples in love, too, and uh, seeing them work out you know, when my wife and I were – first date and we were used to work out together and uh, not yeah. so much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> she has her thing, I have my thing. But it was cute watching you two work out the, the other night and 
She's still Mako's a pretty good athlete. I think. Uh, she, yeah, she kicks my ass. Yeah, I was say, she, she could probably take you in a lot <laughs> yeah, of things. Maybe yeah. not anything more than a two-mile run, but she could take you in a lot of those things. Yeah. Sure. Well, you know, Griffin, that's it's so awesome when you you announce that you're getting wa- married, and uh, yeah, you're gonna have a whole community of people that are just gonna be there for you, and know that as you told in your own saying, it takes a village to raise a triathlete. It takes a village to make a marriage work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm gonna encourage you to reach out to your friends and you know ask them questions because we have wisdom. Yeah. Uh, some of that wisdom may not. Uh, be applicable to your life, but uh, there's a lot of wisdom in your friends. Yeah. You're a smart man by having older people as friends. Yeah, for y- sure. You've learned well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, b- it's been a lot of fun having having that, uh, kind of going back to what you said earlier, of, of having that broad range of working with really young kids, trying to get them fired up about, you know, running a- and second through eighth grade and then uh, at the high school level as well, but then also having – people that I can teach about triathlon but mentor me in life uh working with older not quote-unquote older you know older than me athletes yeah 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 it's gonna be fun and uh again Griffin I'm I'm, I'm excited and I'm proud of uh, the steps you've taken in your in your your coaching mm-hmm. you're, you're definitely on a nice big path up uh it'll be fun to see where you land in five years from now mm-hmm.